0: We're on our second part of the series that we're doing about what we need for growth, for spiritual growth. Uh, Last week, I talked about the Bible. If we want to grow spiritually, we need to read God's Word, apply it to our life, memorize things. I put a whole focus on how important it is to get the Bible in your life on a regular daily basis. But we need more than just reading the Bible in order to grow spiritually spiritually. The second thing that we need is prayer. I can remember growing up and hearing messages on prayer that I think made me feel more guilty. Instead of helping me alleviate anxiety in my life, they would say all this about prayer, and I could, it was like, oh, I could never pray good enough. And it seems like that was the complete opposite of the message you'd want to get about prayer, right? Shouldn't prayer be about helping your life, getting rid of anxiety, not adding more onto your life. And I can remember things like hearing the pastor pray or something, and it's very pious. And that's what I would hear. And I would say, I can never do that. I can't do it. I'm just not good at praying. Because if that's the example that you see, that's the way you think prayer is supposed to be. Or I'd hear people say things like, when you pray, You know, you take God's word and all those Bible verses, you know, and weave them in and out of your prayer, and it's going to be powerful. Well, you have to know a lot of Bible verses to do that. I guess that eliminates a lot of us, right? I was like, oh, I'm not very good at praying then because I'm not too good at that. Or if you really have faith when you're praying, you can move mountains. I prayed about a lot of stuff, and I didn't see anything dramatically happening. So I felt like, apparently, I can't pray. Or they would say, if you pray, God has a special language for you. It's some sort of spiritual language. And you pray in the spiritual language, and then God does, that seems like kind of odd and weird stuff, and I couldn't quite find what they were saying in Scripture like as clearly as what they thought. Just a lot of things I heard about prayer made me think, like, wow, I don't know how to pray. And then when I actually started looking at what Jesus said, it was drastically different. Jesus wasn't speaking all this type of stuff like that. Jesus did say, if you have faith, you can move mountains. But when he actually talked about this is how you pray, it was clear. It wasn't weird. It wasn't something I wasn't going to be good enough to do or smart enough to pull off. Or I have to say it in such a great way to impress other people. It was just like, oh, that makes sense. I can do that. So you would think, if anybody was going to come up with a prayer that you would think, like, wow, that is so impressive. Let's give them a, you know, you think it would be Jesus. But it wasn't. His prayer was just simple. You know, to the point, something anybody can do. And I thought, I can contact God like that. That's something that would work. So let's talk about that, how to make contact with God. He gave us three specific instructions in this passage of Matthew chapter 6. The first thing that he brings out is be real. In your prayer, just be real. Be honest with God. Here's a verse, Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. You can circle that word hypocrites, in their day, they set up this ritual that every morning at 9 o'clock, they would stop wherever they were, busy in the streets, oh, it's 9 o'clock, and they would stop there right then and start their prayers in the middle of the public square. didn't matter where they were. And they would do it at 12 o'clock, and they would do it at 3 o'clock. And it became, because they were a religious society, it became a way to show off to show that you're really spiritual. You purposely make sure you're in the marketplace at 3 o'clock, and then you stop in front of everybody, and you pray. And They say, wow, now that's a really spiritual man. Wow, look at what he's doing. In our culture, you would look at him and say, wow, he's a weirdo, right? Because that's what it means in our culture. But if we went to Islam, they pray five times a day. They get on their knees and face Mecca. And what I'm saying is, it's still cultures today that would do this type of thing. They'll have a set time. And it's easy to show off. You could purposely want to be in a public square, and then you get out your pray- prayer mat and face Mecca and you do your prayer. And in that culture, they say, Wow, now that's a real man of God. Look at what he's doing. He's stopping in the middle of the day and he's praying there. I've seen people do it in airports, like in airplanes. It hits the time, and they're in the airplane, and they get up and face it somehow toward Mecca. I don't know how they figured that out. And then they start praying in the middle of the airplane, right in the aisle. You know, because, you know, I have to pray. And and if you're in that culture, you can say, whoa, that guy is so religious because I wouldn't have done it here in the airplane. But look at him. What a good guy. So in a church setting, it can happen. In a church setting, I can pray out loud in a meeting that makes people think, wow, look at what Jimmy, man, he can pray really good. It can happen in a church fellowship today. And that's what he's saying is, Don't be a hypocrite. You're not doing it to be seen by other people. You don't pray to impress other people. You don't pray with the idea of, I wonder what other people think. You don't pray in a church, like you get up in front of a church to pray so that afterwards people say, wow, what a performance that was. You're praying real, like what's really on your heart. I'm not saying you can't pray in front of other people. I'm saying you don't pray with the idea of impressing them. You just pray a real prayer from your heart. You're not trying to impress God. God wants to hear what's on your heart. You're not praying to make God say, wow, that was good. No, God doesn't care about that. He he wants something sincere, something really within you. So if you're going to pray, just be real, be real with God. Don't pray what you think you ought to pray. Do you know what I mean? Like you're praying to God On your own. This isn't in public. This is just your own thing. And you're thinking, I better say it like this because that's what God would want. Do you think you're fooling God? I'm going to say it the way he wants it, but I really feel this way. What I'm trying to say is, God's like a friend. You know, Abraham is called God's friend. We sing a song, I'm a friend of God's. You can talk to God like a friend. He's not going to be insulted if you said, "As, as evil as this might sound... God, I'm so angry at them. I, I feel like I want you to strike them dead. He knows that you feel that. So you can say that to God, and you know what? He's not going to strike them dead because you said that. You're not putting some sort of magical curse on them. You're just saying how you really feel. I feel like, oh, you, but deep in your heart, you know that you don't really want him to strike them dead. You know what I'm saying? But you feel that way, and, and you might not be able to tell your friend. You know, I, I want God to strike him dead. They might judge you harshly, but God's big enough to hear it, and he also is knowledgeable enough to know that that's how you feel in the moment, but you don't really mean it really, really. And you, you can be 100% real with God, even if you really meant it, you, because he knows. He wants you to just talk to him. He'll use that time to guide you in the right place. You read Psalms, and sometimes David is saying things like, I want you to strike down my enemies, but I know that you're a merciful God. I know that you're understanding, because he thinks of how God treats him. So it starts off one way, and as you read on, it changes. So you can be real with God. You don't have to fit on any facade or any fakeness. Number two, be relaxed when you pray. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's something about my daily quiet time. Every day that I get together and read my Bible and pray. I've got a, in the living room, a little, you know, sofa seat there. and I like to sit there. You know, I'm on my, my kids are running around there playing and I'm up in the morning and I'm reading my Bible and praying. But it, it, there's something about a private place that, where you can relax wherever that is for you. But a place that you can relax and you can just be comfortable talking to God. Relax. Do you know what kills prayer? Is hurry. Is hurry. Like, okay, I don't have much time, so let me pray really quick. Boom, 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 go. It seems like that type of prayer, maybe the goal is to check it off your list to say, hey, I prayed today. But that doesn't make sense. If prayer is conversing with God, yeah, it just doesn't seem like that's very exciting time with God. But if you can find a place that you can just relax and enjoy that time, don't allow your prayer life to be so rushed that it becomes a killjoy. Number three, be revealing. Share what's really in your heart. I talked about this a little bit just a minute ago. Here's what he says in verse 7 and 8. Don't recite the same prayer over and over as the heathens do, who think prayers are answered only by repeating them again and again. Remember, your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. A lot of times they would have these long, wordy, ritual prayers that they would pray over and over and over again, thinking like, if I say this prayer over and over again, somehow that makes me right with God. That was what the heathens did. That wasn't anything to do with what Judaism was supposed to be or Christianity was supposed to be. That's like taking a practice that the unbelievers did, and trying to Christianize it. It was never meant to be that way. Because prayer is supposed to be an intimate relationship with God. You're just talking to God. It's not about ritual. You're revealing what's really on your heart. Can you imagine I come home from work, and my kids say, Oh, almighty procreator of our family, how wonderful thou art, who sovereignly deposits our allowance. Oh, the majesty of thy wonderful self, we beseech thee to come eat dinner with us. What do you think I think about my kids? I think they're quite odd, right? But what do my kids really say? I come home and they say, hey, dad's home, let's eat. I prefer, hey, dad's home, let's eat, over all that other mumbo-jumbo, whatever that was. Sometimes we think that we have to talk to God in a certain way, and it's just weird. I would never talk to a friend that way. He's called our father in heaven. I would never talk to my dad that way. It would just be odd. He's God. He loves you. You don't have to use fancy language It's a conversation. You're not trying to impress him or anybody else. Focus what's on your heart. So we want to have contact with God. We want to talk with God. How do we do that? In Matthew 6, 9, it says, this is Jesus speaking still. He said, this then is how you should pray. He tells us how to do it. Circle the word how. We make a mistake. Sometimes we read it, this is what you're supposed to pray. You know what I mean? So then we make that our prayer, the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing bad about quoting the Lord, Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's nothing bad about that. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying this is what you pray. He's saying this is how you pray. And if someone gets that mixed up, they'll lose the meaning because I can memorize that prayer and say it over and over and over and not think about what it's saying and and what I'm supposed to get out of it. So as you're listening to what he actually says, this is how you pray. Here's what we find. First of all, how do I pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's praising God. That's the principle there. That's the principle. It's not about just memorizing the prayer. It's, what am I saying, and what do I pray about in my regular prayer life? Praise God. Praise is, give God my love. That's what praising God is. You're praising God. You're giving Him your love. You're valuing Him. You're you're saying, God, you're awesome. Thank you for all the things you do for me. Thank you for the air I breathe. You know, you're wonderful. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for giving me shelter. Thank you for my health. But you're so thankful to God. You're praising him. Some people don't know how to praise God. If you read the book of Psalms, it's almost psalm after psalm after psalm of praising God. So you read those, and you'll learn how to praise God. You say, oh, these are the things that they did to say how thankful they were of God. This is what they did. And you can learn ideas of how to praise God. But the point is, the point of Jesus' prayer was, Spend time, if you want to have a great prayer life, praise God. That's something you can pray about. Like, I don't know what to pray about. Praise God. Thank Him for great things He's done. You know, thank God for my marriage. Thank God for my kids. Thank God I have a job. I mean, you can really go on and on and on and be so thankful and happy of things that God's done in your life. In the Old Testament, there are several different names that they use for God. And in their language... Those names actually have meanings, like God is present. That's what the name means, one of his names in the Old Testament. God's my shepherd. God's my provider. God's my healer. God's my peace. God's my victory. It's interesting, all those different names that you find in the Old Testament of God have meanings that have to do with what he does. He brings healing. He brings us peace. He brings us victory. They were constantly thanking him for his greatness. So, you're saying, how do I pray? Not what, but how. How do I pray? Praise God. Praise God. If you spend time praising God, that's a good thing. That's a good prayer life. You could spend, if you really wanted to, you could spend a long time just thanking God for great things he's done. Second thing that we find in here is purpose. Give God my life. So, you're giving God your love, and you're giving God your life. In Matthew 6, 10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Circle your will. That's the point that he's getting across here. If I memorize a prayer, I might say the same, but not think about it. Sometimes I'll purposely use Bible verses from a different translation. They're all translated from the original, but different people translate them, and sometimes they word it differently. Because... If you memorize something in a certain way, sometimes you start saying it without thinking. Okay? Memory verses are great because when I'm in a need, like when I'm feeling it at the moment, like I'm worried about something, then I think of that verse. And because I'm in need for that, I think about what it says to give me strength. But memory verses are negative in this sense. Once you get it memorized, somebody starts to talk about it. And as they start to quote it, you don't pay attention anymore because you already have it in your mind. So I'll sometimes take a Bible verse that everybody knows and i get it from a different translation so it's worded a little bit different so you go, oh, what? And then you start listening again. So God wants to have an intimate relationship with you. He wants you to love him and him love you. He wants to bless you, but he does that through his will. So circle your will, be done. Why would we pray this? Because, come on, God's will is usually not done in a lot of people's lives. And it's not because God doesn't want his will done. It's us. He's, he's also given us a free will. The problem is God has a perfect desire for your life, a perfect will for your life. It doesn't mean that you're submitting to it. We can say no. So the whole point of prayer is, God, I want your will on my life. God, I'm tired of trying to do what I want. God, I want what you want. And sometimes you already know what God wants. Sometimes you already know the answer and you've been rebelling. Sometimes you honestly don't know. Like, I, I just don't know what his will is, but I want it. But it's that heart of I'm submitting to you. I want your will done in my life. When people read God's will, you can see it in three different ways. You're going to have three different attitudes. One attitude can be resentment. Okay, let God's will be done, but you're resenting it because you know that's not what you want. That is one way to see God's will. The one other way is apathetic. Let God's will be done. You're apathetic because there's nothing I can do about it anyway. Or you can say, let God's will be done, and you can be excited about it. Because, you know, if God's will was really done in my life, I would have the best, most awesome life that I could ever have. Because the greatest thing that I could ever do is find out what God's will is for my life and get right in the center of it. Because God's will for your life is exactly what you need. But sometimes it's not what we want because of temptation, or this. but it's exactly what you need. It's going to be the best thing ever for your life. So it comes to your relationship with God. If you really know that God's a loving Father, you desire His will for your life. If you fear that God's going to, like if I really submitted myself to God, I'm going to have to be a monk somewhere. And I can't see myself ever doing that. Believe me, he's not going to do that to you. He's going to take what you are and who you are and make you the best you. He's not going to turn you into something else. He's going to make you the best you that you can be. His will for your life is going to be exactly what you need. So you want to Pray like with anticipation, like, God, I want your will done. I want your will. I want to go in that direction. So as you're praying, that's what He's trying to tell us in the Lord's prayer. Seek God's will. A third thing that you can pray is provision. Give God my worries. Not only do I give God my love, not only do I give him my life, along with that, I get to give him my worries. That's great. I get to give you my worries too? Good. Take them. Matthew 6, 11. Give us today our daily bread. What's he talking about? His worries. That's what they're worried about. Give us today our daily bread. Your physical needs, your material needs. Circle that word daily. Daily. These are the day-to-day things that can stress you out in life. If you don't have them, give me what I need, Lord. Why would you pray that? So you don't have to worry about it. That's Why? The things that, God, I'm just going to trust you with this. You pray that because you don't have to worry about it now. Maybe it's finances. God, I don't know how we're going to pay rent, but I'm trusting you. Maybe it's wisdom. God, I don't know how to handle that situation at work. I'm asking you for wisdom. What's the alternative? Stress, right? Worry. So I'm going to ask him for wisdom. Give me the wisdom. I'm going to trust that you do that. We're always in this situation where we have two alternatives. I can panic or I can pray. I can panic or I can pray. And God is saying, you don't have to worry about all that. Give it to me. I want to meet that need. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's anything. He's talking about don't be anxious. Don't be worried about anything. Give it to God. That means big things or small things. If you're worried about an ingrown toenail, pray about it. You might think, well, that's not that important. If you're worried about it, it's important to you. It doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't matter how great it is, it doesn't matter how small it is. If it's got you concerned, pray about it. Give that worry to God. Let Him worry about what I can't take care of. If I can take care of it, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to spend all my time praying about something. You know, God, I'm so hungry. Help me to feel full. No, I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up, walk to the refrigerator, and have a bite to eat. Anything that I can do, I'm not going to spend my time praying about that. But there's things I have no control over. God, I don't know what to do. I can't control it. I'm worried about this. I'm giving it to you. I'm going to allow you to handle that. Underline the word thanksgiving. That attitude of gratitude is the healthiest emotion that you can have. The more grateful you are, the more you have appreciation for other people. If I'm grateful, I'm going to appreciate God more. If I'm grateful, I'm going to appreciate my wife more. If I'm grateful, I'm going to appreciate you more. If I'm grateful, I'm going to appreciate my family more. So pray with thanksgiving. Instead of being worried and everything, you know, I've given to God with thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? God, I'm so happy that I don't have to worry about this anymore. I'm just trusting you to take care of it. So you give him your worries. The other thing that he says in the prayer is you can give him your guilt. It's pardon. Give God my guilt. So when I give him my love and my life, the benefit is I also get to give him my worries and I get to give him my guilt. He says, forgive us our debts. And we all have regrets. We all have guilt. We all have shame. We all have things Mistakes that we made because we're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. So instead of hanging on to guilt, I get to give it to him. I get to pray to God, forgive us our debts. Lord, forgive us for what we've done. I can repress it. I can suppress it. Or I can confess it and get it off my chest. God, what I did was wrong. Please forgive me and let it go. God wants you to be able to release that guilt. God is not in the business of saying, Look at what you did and holding it against you and stepping on you when you're down. That's not what God does. See, I'll tell you what we think we have to do. I've blown it, so I think I have to beg God to forgive me. I have to beg God or I have to bargain with God. God, if you forgive me, I'll do this for you. You know, let's make a bargain. We think we have to bargain with God. Or we think we need to bribe God. You know, God, if you forgive me, I'll do this for you and this for you and this for you. We bribe God. You know what you have to do is you have to believe God. You believe that you're forgiven. It's not about begging and bargaining and bribing God. It's about believing him. Wow, I believe the Father in heaven forgave me. He says if I confess it, he'll forgive me. God's in the business of forgiving. He wants to give you a new start. You just have to believe him. And when you believe it, you know what happens? you feel forgiven. If I don't feel forgiven, it's because I don't really believe that he's forgiven me. That's what it means. If I 100% believe that God forgave me, I would feel forgiven. So It's just a faith issue. Give it to God. Worry is a faith issue. If I really believe that God will take care of those things, it's out of my control, I'll let God handle that. If I really believe that, I won't worry. I worry because I don't believe it. I feel guilt because I don't believe it. It's a faith issue. Am I really going to trust God? Next is people. I get to give God my worries. I get to give God my guilt. But I also get to give God my hurts, the things I feel hurt about. That verse goes on in Jesus' prayer there. He doesn't just say forgive us. He says forgive us as we also have forgiven our debtors. These are the people that intentionally have hurt us or unintentionally have hurt us. Some people hurt you on purpose, some people hurt you on an accident, but you can carry resentment toward anybody that's given you any sort of hurt. What this is saying is, you don't have to live with resentment for the rest of your life. You don't. You don't have to live with anger for the rest of your life. You can forgive them and go on in life in peace. It's a choice. I can have peace. Or I can live the rest of my life with resentment, anger, frustration. It's what kind of life do I want? No matter what I do, it might not change that person that I forgive. It might not change them at all, but it will change me. If I forgive them and let it go, I can now have peace from this point on. Shame on them for what they did to me. Shame on me for keeping all that and ruining the rest of my life. They don't ruin my life. I ruin my own life if I don't forgive and let it go. I've got to learn to forgive and let it go. I've got to forgive them over and over again until I can let it go completely. Because otherwise, resentment, it's a poison. It's a poison. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive yours How do I have the gall to go to God and say, please forgive me, and I don't forgive others? What kind of person is that? You talk about hypocrisy. Like, I'm so great that I can go to God and ask him to forgive me. I'm so awesome, but you're never going to be forgiven. You know, how can I do that? It's like burning the very bridge that I need for my health. You know, forgive them, just like you want God to forgive you, You might say, well, you don't understand what they did. I don't understand what they did, but I do understand this. I understand what they did is doing to you right now. I understand what it's doing to you right now. And I understand if what they did in the past is making you resentful and angry and bitter, I know what they did in the past, you're hanging on and it's ruining your life. And I know that you'd be a lot happier and healthier if you forgave Forgiving doesn't get them off the hook, by the way. It gets you off the hook. You know, you forgive them, they might not even know, but it gets you off the hook. It's released the power that you allowed them to have over you. Why would you do that? Why would you give them that much power? Next, protection. Give God my fears and temptations. So now I give God my guilt, my hurt. I get to give him my worries. And I also get to give him my fears and temptation. Why? Because I gave him my love and my life. When you give God your love and you give God your life, you also get to give him all that stuff. That's fantastic. These are the major emotions that ruin your life. Guilt, you know, resentment, fears, temptations, worries. Those are the things that ruin your life. When that relationship with God is, you give them to him. And you can pray about these things daily. Every day you can give those things to him. I'm feeling a fear, give it to him. Today I'm feeling this temptation, give it to him. All the things that will ruin your life is what he wants you to give to him. Give those things to him. In Matthew six thirteen it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's protection. He's trying to protect you. So you think like, temptation... What areas do I need self-control in? Where it's saying pray to God about those things. What are the things that I'm worried about, like I have fear over? You know, what are the things that scare me? It says deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because they're afraid of him. What are the things that give me fear the most? Maybe it's fear of failure in something that you're doing. It's saying pray about it. Maybe something happened with the test on your health, and you're not sure, you know, what's going to happen with my health. It's saying, pray about it. Maybe you feel like your marriage is falling apart. What is it saying? Pray about it. Maybe you feel some sort of rejection by somebody or or a group. Pray about it. Maybe you fear the future, like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen with this, and you're really worried about it. Pray about it. God wants you to give him your fears. He wants you to give him your temptations. The things that bother you the most in those areas. Give it to God. Look at Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet without sin. What does this tell me? If Jesus has been tempted in every way because it's talking about Christ, if Jesus has been tempted in every way that I have, it tells me that when I pray to God, he understands. He understands. He understands. He didn't give in to the temptation, but he understands. So when you're talking to him, you're not talking to somebody that's ready to blast you. When you're praying to God, it's like, yeah, I understand those temptations. Wow, that was hard. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. We have someone that can sympathize. He says, oh, yeah, I understand those temptations. That's a tough one. It's easier for me to pray to God when I feel like he understands. If I feel like God's just going to blast me for all my mistakes, it doesn't make me want to pray to God. It makes me want to run and hide. It makes me want to have nothing to do with God, not think about him, because I don't want to feel condemned. But when you know the God of the Bible, and you know that Jesus understands he's been there, it makes me draw to him, because I can talk to somebody that understands what I'm going through, and I feel like I'm supported by the Father. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. You can go to God with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because when you know what God's really like, you know He understands, you now go to God with confidence. Your confidence isn't in yourself, but you have confidence because you know He loves you. He's going to forgive you. He's a good God. Prayer isn't something that adds anxiety to your life. Prayer is something that releases anxiety. You pray so you can let go of the worries, let go of the fear, let go of the temptation, let go of the hurt, let go of all those things that would destroy your life. You're able to let them go. Now, there's one thing that I think is overlooked in the Lord's prayer when he's teaching us how to pray. You notice it if you think about it, it says, our Father, plural, give us, this is our daily bread, forgive us. Our debts, as we forgive our debtors, lead us not into temptation, deliver us. Notice how everything's plural. It doesn't say in the Lord's Prayer, give me my daily bread, forgive me my debts, lead me not into temptation, deliver me. What I'm trying to show here is they were praying together for him to be saying, are we... It was a group. It was a group of people. And in the Bible, you see that there's power when groups of people pray together. A group of people were praying together for Peter to be released from prison, and a miracle happened and he got released. There's something healthy. In your notes, the powerful key to prayer is praying together. I pray on my own, but it's healthy to pray with your family together. Some people have never... Like some married couples have never prayed out loud in front of their husband and wife. Or, like they're ashamed. Like they're going to say it wrong. It's, it's all these things that we're talking about. It's the wrong impression of what prayer is. There's something healthy about praying on your own. But there's something healthy about praying with your wife or husband. Pray with the kids. I get with the kids and I pray with them every every night. And getting together with a church group and you have a meeting and you're praying together like a prayer meeting. There's something healthy about getting with other people and praying. Dr. William Parker, he did a test. He's a psychologist. He wanted to see the power of prayer. So what he did is he got three groups of people together that have problems that they're working through, and he wanted to see what would happen. With group one, what they did was professional counseling. They all met with professional counselors, and then he would study them, and I don't know how he got his end results, but he found that people, when they went to a professional counselor they improved over a certain amount of time 65%. That's good. Okay. Then he taught them a different group of people, but the same type of issues, you know, a different group of people to just how to pray effectively. How to pray effectively. No need for the culture. Just how to pray effectively. He sent them at that same period of time to pray on their own about things that they were struggling through. And... They showed absolutely no improvement at all. Zero improvement. Nothing. They didn't get better at all. They were just as messed up afterwards as they were before. After a period of time, this wasn't like just one prayer. But he had a third group. And here's what he did with them. He said, there's no professional counselor involved in this one. It's a group of people that were going through these things. And what they would do is they would meet together in a group. It's a small group. If it gets too large, then people don't speak. But he kept it a small group. You know, so these people would meet together and they would pray together and they would talk about their feelings with one another and pray for each other over this. And they improved more than the professional psychologists that had a doctorate degree helping them. And these were just regular people like you and I. They weren't they didn't have a degree in psychology. They were just regular people like us getting together on a weekly basis praying together, and they could have people to talk about what they're going through. And in the group that prayed together and discussed without a professional help had 72% improvement. So I've always said this, and you've heard me say this several times. I always say, it's not love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I've said over and over, it's not just this way. It's this way. You have to have both. I've talked about Alcoholics Anonymous, how they have to believe in power greater than themselves, but then they say keep coming into the group because they know. It's the combination of building a relationship with God and with others. That's how God designed it. And even though there was no professional psychiatrist or psychologist helping that group, they were improving more and faster than the ones that had a professional one-on-one One person that can give you total attention, one-on-one wasn't as good as that group. So there's something about praying together, having friends, and discussing. If you have good relationships, if you have good relationships that you can pray with and you just have good relationships, you can probably get over a hurt, a worry, a pain quicker than with the professional help if you have the right type of support group. And don't say Pastor Cheney said don't get professional help. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what you need the most is good relationships with people. Love God, yes, love God, but what is a Christian that loves God and doesn't love his neighbors himself? How is love shown? How is love shown in relationship? You know, you love them. You spend time with them. In Matthew eighteen, nineteen, or twenty. I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. What this verse is saying is there's more power or something when you're praying with other people. Somehow, some way, it's more effective. Does that mean as a Christian, oh, I don't need to pray on my own. It's not as effective. No, obviously you pray on your own. But what it's saying is, if I think I'm pretty spiritual, like mature, and I don't have those relationships with other people, I'm not. I'm not. Now, I might know the Bible well, okay? But Bible knowledge is the same thing. It's in relationship with people. That's where your faith is really shown. That's where your love is really shown. That's where you can put it into action. So you want great relationships with people. So I want to make contact with God. I want to have a great relationship with God. I believe that you do too. You probably wouldn't go to church if you don't want a great relationship with God. Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, even though a lot of people memorize it and quote it, there's nothing wrong with memorizing the Lord's Prayer and quoting it. There's nothing wrong with memorizing any part of the Bible and quoting it. But what I'm saying is wrong is, if you don't understand what it's really saying, what benefit Memorize it. But know what it's saying. So when you're praying, you know how to pray. This is how you pray. It's not this is what you say. This is how you pray. And if you pray these type of things, I can guarantee you your prayer life is going to be exciting. You're going to know what to pray. I hope you keep your notes so that you have an idea. And there's no reason why we all can't feel like our prayer life is really good. Like, wow, I like my prayer life. I enjoy talking to God. Because when I have something I'm worried about, I give it to him. When I have a fear, I give it to him. I like that. When I'm resentful, it reminds me to let it go, so I let it go. I like that. I want your prayer time to be something that's exciting for you, not something that, oh, I'm obligated to do this. I have to go through this prayer list of praying these different ritual prayers and this and that and walk away and no benefit to my daily life. I want to pray to make sure that it changes the way I live. So with that let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that prayer is not mystical or something that's really created to give us guilt, but that is to release us from these emotions of worry and fear and temptation and hurt and resentment and guilt. Lord, that you want to bring healing in our life. Lord, and we thank you for that. We're making a commitment as a church body to develop good, healthy prayer habits, Lord, so that we can have the best relationship with you possible. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.